for me, it's been really, really exciting and insightful to see the journey of different organizations from Series A or B to D. That's kind of my sweet spot or where, where it's ha I've had the most fun. And it's just such a, not to be generic, like Series A, like this is the type of marketer, Series B, this is the type of marketer you have, Series C and so on. But there's some mappings there that are quite true. And there's some personality or, or like, let's call it habit differences. And I think what's important for a marketer is be very aware if you're in Series A or B about what's about to happen if your organization is doing well. As an individual for your career, it can be really fantastic if you can navigate that. You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. And today, I'm with Hernando Butrago, who is the VP of Marketing at Instabug, a mobile application performance management platform that's used by over 25,000 mobile teams and running in over 2 billion devices. Hernando was previously the Director of Digital Marketing at Kong, where he helped build the marketing team from 2 to 20 people and supported revenue growth of more than 50x. Before Kong, he had a similar journey leading demand gen efforts at RealmDB, which was later acquired by MongoDB. Over his marketing career, Hernando has been focused on building the enterprise marketing motion at PLG and open source driven organizations. He lives in Oakland, California with his wife. Hernando, welcome to the show. Hi, Paris. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here with you. Great to have you on. I want to start with <clears throat> one particular question. I've seen that you've been on multiple different companies in, in demand gen roles, and you've been a part of lots of different teams, and now it's, you're in a position to, to build your own team. I want to focus on the people aspect here about building marketing teams that particularly fit the organization's needs. Can you tell me a little bit more about your experience with uh, building the right type of marketing team and then talk about how you're, what type of team you're building now at Insta, Instabug? Sure, yeah. So I, I guess the first thing is that the change is not to be taken lightly, right? From leading only demand or digital uh, part of the organization to saying, yes, I'm going to jump in and lead everything else that we should be able to do, like thinking of growth, thinking of corporate marketing, thinking of developer marketing. It's a very different job. So very aware of that. And I think it was great at Kong because I was able to see what those teams should function, um, like what the right people are, what the right concerns are, and how you can do it right. So where we are now at Instabug is, um, and we're still Series A, right? It's, I, I like to say that we're, it feels more than Series A because the organization is pretty well fledged out and we're growing impressively. But where we are is we need everyone to be very hands-on. So the marketers that we need right now are, again, people who can just be touching all the tools. They know what needs to 
happen at the deep level. They can go up and they can go down, but there's no managers of managers, right? It, it's all people who can be very good at one particular channel or be, uh, be, be generalists. So let's deep dive into the product-led growth motion. I see that there's, sure. yeah. there's a 14-day trial period, and I, this is triggered through the, the Get Started button. And when I look at um, the calls to action, I can see that there, is a, there are clearly two different pathways to go down. You can get started, meaning you can just sign up right now, initiate a trial, get your hands on the product. The second is the request a demo, which is most likely going to put you in touch with a salesperson. And hopefully that's going to lead to a higher value ticket. Now, I just want to get a sense of the numbers of roughly how many of the, how many of the users are going down path A, the product-led growth path versus the, the request a demo path today, approximately. Oh yeah. Yeah. Volume-wise, it's about the users. And so volume-wise, the getting people to use the product is by far like 80, 90% of, in terms of engagement on the website, it's going to be down that path. And, and that's what we want, right? We want to make sure that request a demo is a signal of intent and is a signal of who you are as well. If you are a user, we want to make sure that you have a very clear path. We want to make it easy for you to get into the product. So yeah, it, it, volume wise, that's, that's where yeah. engagement I to, goes. I, I understand, yeah. So for the product-led growth motion, when you initiate the trial, are there any signals of product usage during that 14-day trial period that tells you or maybe signals to the sales team that someone is probably, we need to reach out or that we need to initiate a sales touch here because either we've enriched this prospect and we know that it's a really large company or maybe that just other usage signals, heavy usage signals from a lot of users, the so-called land and expand thing happens quickly and organically. Whatever it may be, are there certain triggers that happen in the trial period that make you all take a note and say that we need to quickly move this to a um, sales touch? So, yes. So there's two, and you kind of hinted at both of them already. There's two key emotions. One is when you sign up, are you a user? You would know we're probably going to, going to be a user, but are you part of an account that we think has high value potential or uh, could it, is there growth there down the road? So that is a signal directly to the sales team. And it's essentially, should we multi-thread into this account? Should we put this account into advertising segments where we want to expand the awareness? We want to find out within our internal data, what else is happening within that account? Right, so that's the first thing. Person hasn't even done anything; they just signed up. And and upfront, we want to just know: is there could there be something here, or is this part of something larger that's already happening? And second, in terms of the usage, that's another flow that we have more with the customer support team and with the product team in terms of: is there a, a point at which they they get to a user level or a sessions level that we need to engage, right? And I would say on that front, it's more really just responding to the needs that they may have. The first step is more about being proactive and saying, hey, there could be something here. Let's, let's dig. The second part is responding to their needs. Are they using the product? Do they need something else? What else can we give them? Um, yeah. Yeah, interesting. 
I just did a little bit of rough uh, keyword research and I'm looking at this keyword, mobile app performance monitoring. And the average cost per click on that keyword is $65. How do you avoid <laughs> wasting money? I, I imagine that's a high intent keyword though, that people are not messing around with that search term. But still, how do you avoid just burning tons of cash on $65 cost per click keywords when it's not brand intent in this case, this is a category, uh, non-brand keyword. How do you manage that in, in such a landscape where you really can't afford to make mistakes? Well, the, the first thing with that one is that you'll find it's very low volume. And that is the category that we we're building or the awareness that we need to build around mobile performance monitoring, mobile performance management. A lot of the performance management has been focused on the backend side, right? Like server side performance monitoring. And that is essentially a gap for mobile teams because a lot of times they can get data from those services, but they don't get granular enough data to go and fix something or understand what is important to fix or not. So that's where doing something that's doing performance monitoring that is mobile focused or client focused is a big game changer for mobile teams. So yeah, volume is going to be very low. So even if it's 65 and if we wanted to show up first every time, it probably wouldn't break the bank. Now that said, yeah, we have to be conscious in terms of how far are we willing to go? At the end of the day, what kind of keyword is that? Is that someone who's trying to solve a problem? Someone who's like thinking strategically, do I need this? Or is it someone who's just, hey, let me read a blog post about what this is. Right, yeah, someone might be really just trying to understand what that concept even means, mobile app performance monitoring, but it doesn't have the word tool or solution or I don't know, price. Do you, exactly. Let me ask a similar question. Are you all bidding on the names of your competitors? Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. have you seen success with that from a cost per acquisition oh, yeah. standpoint? Definitely. Yeah, I think that's pretty common and fairly mature and competitive categories. It's a reality that everyone has to deal with. First of all, you have to protect your own brand and you have to include your own brand in, in your as a paid campaign. And for competitors' brands, of course, everyone is bidding on your brand and you have to return serve, as they say. Um, yeah, it's quite important. And, and that's definitely um, one of our... Uh, yeah, best performing and competitive. We put a lot of attention to those. It's also good to play nice. You know, you bet on each other, but from my perspective, I, I like to think that there, there are lines in terms of what you say about competitors and whatnot and what you say in your comparison pages. So yeah, absolutely. yeah that's something I like to keep in mind. Yeah, I think, I think you still want to uh, be respectful enough, but yeah, communi communicate that, that you're better. Or you have a better value proposition. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how marketing and sales work together. Um, in your yeah. opinion, what are the what are some of the secrets as a marketer? What are some of the secrets to collaborating well with a sales team in a SaaS company? Yeah, I think I don't know about secrets, uh, but uh, <laughs> what I've experienced, enterprise demand side for marketing customer number one is sales right you have your target audience that's your organizational customer uh, but you need to really be listening to what sales needs and you want to 
really be working with them and, and cover the gaps where, where they see the gaps. They're the ones on the ground. They're the ones sitting at the table having conversations. And there's just, from the PLG side, you think about all the content and assets that you have to generate, right? They're public-facing, SEO-focused content or product-enabling content for the user. On the enterprise demand side, you're thinking, yes, there's some public-facing content for your target audience, but there's also content for the sales team because you're working with sales enablement team to make sure that everyone is basically on the same page and understands, are we aligned about how we're going to talk about these competitors? Are we aligning the kill shots for this competitor or not? And you want that to be consistent across the organization. So yeah, I don't know if I fully answered your question, but that's one piece. I really do like that concept that, especially for enterprise sales, customer number one, is the sales team. I mean, they, they have needs and it's about making sure that they're getting what they want, not necessarily what marketing imagines the ideal customer profile to be. Have you had cases where the, these are not matched up? So marketing's view of an ICP is quite different than what a salesperson describes as what they need? There's been cases where they're generally aligned, but they're described differently by different teams. Um, and that, that I, I guess at that point, those years ago, that probably was a bit of a challenge because you're talking about something and someone thinks that you're talking about something else. So I think just aligning on the language that you're using to describe your ICP is a good uh, practice. But I think where it's been difficult is in terms of working with sales, it's when what they are doing is not as unified as, it, the more unified it is, it's easiest for marketing. So if there's one person in sales that can influence everyone else around the ICP and about their, how the messaging is handled and, and what the activities should be. That makes it a lot easier for marketing. If you're dealing with multiple heads of sales in different regions, for example, who can have equal authority, say, if you're in that situation, then it can, it can be quite tricky because every salesperson can be different and their approach can be different. So then you're in a situation where you have to do, okay, in this region, we do marketing this way because that's the head of sales, or we do enterprise marketing this way because that's what head of sales there wants. In this region, we do it this way because that's what they think about the ICP. And that can be really uh, a challenge for the marketing team because all of a sudden you're, you don't have three, three core campaigns. So all of a sudden you have nine, right? So, <laughs> And it may be hard to yeah. even stay on brand and, and to maintain a unified brand position if you really have to adapt, if you have to uh, severely adapt the position of the brand in different regions for different sales, regional managers then you also risk maybe just losing a cohesive brand identity, a cohesive brand positioning. And I think that that's a little dangerous as well if you try to over-adapt a product too much for a sales team's needs in a particular region or country. Uh, the, the, yeah. the, the product may start to get... You may actually create some confusion even for people that would look at a high level. It's this type of product over here, but then in this region, it's something very, very different. And I, I think that's actually bad for the brand globally in a lot of cases. And I guess that's part of what you have to watch out for too as a VP of marketing, that we need to serve the unique needs of different sales managers across the world, but at the same time maintain 
a consistent brand voice here and a consistent position. Yeah. So Fernando, but earlier in the pre-show we were talking about, you said something really interesting, turning on the machine. And you were referring to a transition from a product-led growth motion to more of a land and expand strategy. Can you describe that a little bit more? Sure, yeah. Um, and so what I was thinking at that moment is, is turning on the, the, the demand machine. I think in, it, there's a few phases there. And when you, when I've come into organizations and try to move from that user focus or not move from it, but add to it, right? The user mentality where like your target audience is one, it's about solving problem today. And you're trying to move to what can we do for an enterprise? Uh, how do we solve their strategic problems? How do we help them think about the future and be a partner for many years? as they move into the future. So the, the first thing is to start creating content, getting content off the bat and, and testing messaging. So it might, the first phase, it can feel scattered if you're kind of internally like, oh, there's this campaign, there's this campaign, there's a quick like two month messaging effort on this front and then it quickly changes. And you just kind of just throwing things at, things at the wall and, th and, and really finding what speaks to those uh, decision makers within those user accounts that you have been leveraging so far. Um, that phase one, you're leveraging paid channels quite heavily. And just because you're SEO, you probably haven't had time to build organic content yet, right? So you really have to leverage paid channels heavily. And I like to think that as you grow your organic content, what your organic content brings, uh, eventually passes or it's going to be much larger than what you bring in with paid channels. Um, and so maybe there's a case to say you can reduce your investment in paid channels down the road, or maybe there's a case to say, well, at that point, you're going to get much bigger. So you're just going to have to be paying a lot more for your broad awareness campaigns, right? You're going to be going beyond the high intent. And in that phase, first phase, you really have to focus on clarity on the personas that you're going after and making sure the organization internally is educated on this is the user. This is what we know they do. This is what they need. This is the type of problems they're trying to solve. These are the decision makers that work with those users and beyond those, and, and that could be a technical person still. So like the, not to simplify personas, but there's usually three levels. Um, in, in, in sales deals, right? You have the users who can influence and can sometimes veto, sometimes not what happens or what gets bought. You have kind of like a middle person who can be a team manager, team lead, engineering lead. And they're going to be the ones, they're technical and they're going to be the ones generally who have a, the project that they have to, they have to make this project succeed. Um, and those people in the middle have to be very technical again, because they come from that background, but they also have to communicate to business leaders up top. Um, and so you have to empower those team leads in the middle with what are the strategic or what are the ROI metrics or what are the business benefits that they can communicate to those business leaders? It's not like you build enterprise demand and all of a sudden you're talking to CIOs and CTOs tomorrow and like you're going to... Um, to round tables with all people in suits. Like it's not that. 
you your decision maker is going to still be someone technical, someone who's a lead or head of engineering or something like that. Um, um, and and it, again, there's still technical people. So clarity around those personas is really important in, ba- in phase one. And I'd say also just in terms of the marketing stack, like your operations, your baselining processes, right? Like you're probably getting Marketo in, um, you're probably getting some basic tools that you need to enrich, to do lead routing, to do scoring, to do start doing some intent visibility, right? Um, yeah, probably like, I like to think Sixth Sense is probably not a phase one kind of tool, right? But Marketo is, or some lead routing tool is. Am I going in the right direction with what, what you were I, I understand what you're saying. To? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in particular, with as you transition from a PLG to more enterprise or land and expand, I understand that the marketing team needs to be a little bit less product focused and more focused on persona-based content generation that could be used across the entire funnel. Now, we these particular developers, whether it's the end user who is probably not a decision maker, but would be the day-to-day user of your product, these people are probably best served with the product-led growth motion because you can get the product into their hands. You don't really want to take salespeople's time with those people because they're not the decision makers, but you want those people to use the product and then recommend it up to the, let's say a project manager or a program manager who is, as you said, middle manager, technical person, good understanding of what the team needs, probably setting up a toolbox or an environment for them, probably has budget and some authority and then has to report up to more business stakeholders. Now, is that person, that middle manager person, they're, they're still coming from a technical background and we all know developers generally don't like marketing. And you said you've got to lean heavily on paid ads um, until you get the content machine and the SEO machine uh, up to speed. How do you navigate that? I mean, how do you put an effective LinkedIn ad in front of a, a middle a project manager who you know have who, who you know has the budget and the means to make a decision on onboarding your product? How do you reach that person? I'm assuming you're doing LinkedIn ads. Um, how are you making that work? Yeah, good question. Um, and and going beyond paid search, right, which can be very high intent, very like, oh, I have a problem today, let's solve it, and and that's how you get users. But on on the social channels and on the like LinkedIn, and, and you can do account based on LinkedIn, which is fantastic. I, to me, it's about speaking to their pain points, right? Um, and they're not going to be the same as the users. This is where you have to explore and this is where you have to do message testing in that phase one, because you're going to try lots of that messaging until you find what are the top three things that stick. And a lot of times they're not going to be, a lot of times they can be quite trendy things. A lot of times it can be things that are happening in, in the environment that they're, they're perhaps their they're business leaders are telling this um, uh, technical leads, you need to solve this problem or you need to future proof for this thing. And that creates engagement, but it's about creating good content. And that's when I say paid doesn't mean that you don't need content, right? Like you still need great media. You need engaging design, engaging content, high value, and you, you still have to deliver value. If you're talking to those team leads, why are you showing it? Is it a report? Is it a guide? Is it a best practices for this? It has to be high value. It, it can't just be um, some quickly put together thing. So this is where I, I like to, um, I, I would, I, I'm always, I don't think you can ever invest too much on that. Um, 
yeah, I, I, doing engaging external firms to do research, and, and we're we're not at Instabug where we at the point where we're doing this yet. Um, but we did this at Kong and engaging external research firms to actually give you data, or you know, you commission the survey, and and then you can bring that data in and analyze it and break it down for your decision makers. That's that's quite valuable. Um, analyst reports, right? Once you get to that stage, and and it doesn't apply to every company or every use case, but if you are in 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 the middle of a category and you're in a Gartner quadrant or you're in some Forrester report, Forrester wave. Uh, that's also very helpful for your sales team and for engaging those leads in paid channels outside of paid search. Gotcha. I've I've checked out your blog and I see that you all are very active in blogging. And I presume that a lot of that is about ultimately trying to get these blog posts to rank and bring steady organic traffic. And I, I also assume that some of those blog posts or some of the more premium content could also be reused uh, for advertising, let's say on LinkedIn. How do you decide uh, when you're creating content, let's say even just the blog content, how would you decide that this piece of content is so good that we're gonna put paid budget behind it on LinkedIn and we're gonna try to start building a funnel around this piece of content versus that this other piece of content is maybe just something that we're really gonna try to rank for a particular keyword but we don't see it as so strategic in a, um, let's say in a conversion funnel. So let's just try to put that on the blog for organic. Do you think about it that way? And if so, how do you determine, you know, what, what pieces of content get budget for paid ads put against them versus not? Yeah, I think with content first, I would say that the way content is built is so granular now that you really know upfront is this going to be an SEO piece? And the structure is very different versus is this a sales validation piece? Is this something that we're going to give the team a link so they can put it in their messaging? Or is this a product enablement piece? Like, it, it, like you know upfront before you type the first word, this is going to be that or that. Now, is there potentially an SEO piece that ranks so well that you start promoting it, doing a, a sponsored post on LinkedIn? Sure, I think that that happens. Generally, that kind of piece is going to be so top of funnel that you probably are op- like, I'll be open to spend some money on that. Um, but from the awareness perspective, I really want to put our brand up there. And in an SEO piece, you're really not putting your brand there, right? You jam it in some places, but it's if it's a really effective SEO piece, it's very unlikely that your brand is going to be all over the place. If I'm paying on LinkedIn for awareness, I probably want my brand to be a little more embedded. So those would ideally be different pieces of content. Yeah. Um, and if you're taking a blog post, I, I, I totally agree with you that a typical blog post for SEO is successful by really just providing the best answer to a particular question. But its goal is to do just that rather than to build brand awareness. But when you bring a piece of content over to LinkedIn ads, let's say, with the explicit goal of building brand awareness, how do you measure the success of that if it doesn't lead to a conversion in the next 30 days after the the ad click? Yeah, 30, 30 days is pretty fast. Um, and conversion, even, I'm assuming maybe you even mean like... 90, an... Yeah. Conversion meaning a free trial start or a, a demo book. Okay. 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 Yeah. Demos, uh, super high intent. Yeah, definitely would take more than 30 days. It depends on what phase you're in. 
let's say there's phase one and phase two and or even phase three. Phase three is like your ICP is super tight. You're using something like Sixth Sense and, and you you have your account segments. And essentially with, with a Sixth Sense, you're doing this awareness engagement and you're able to measure, you know, out of my thousand accounts or 300 accounts in this segment, this many were touched and we generated X many leads out of those accounts. That's like down like when you have all of this tax set up and your ICP really, really nailed down. I think at the beginning for, uh, or, or like what I would say we are with like LinkedIn advertisement is it's really just putting, starting to try different segments of accounts. And you're probably going to be trying different segments very often, more often than you think. And, and just trying again, different messaging. It's less about the piece that has success and more about what are the keywords that we are using on that post? And you're really just measuring very top of funnel engagement. So and you're actually just dealing with clicks and behavior and website. I'm not even, yes, we, we look at leads generated. We get demo leads from LinkedIn, but, um, but it's more like the, the answers to your tests are going to come from just clicks and very top of funnel on platform engagement. And I'm not at a point to say, to report to someone and say, hey, out of our 300 account segment or 1,000 account segment, we, we touch 500 of them or we, we're touching 30% on a quarterly basis. Like that's not where we are. But eventually we want to get to that. Gotcha. So if we look from a higher level here, you're overseeing various paid and organic channels. Do you have any kind of a framework or a way of thinking about how you balance the mix Starting with the mix of how you take a uh, advertising budget and allocate it across paid search, LinkedIn ads, maybe there's some YouTube or other things happening, but I'm guessing paid search and LinkedIn ads are the top two versus on the other side, you've got organic and there you're not paying, you don't have a media budget, but you have a team of people and you have resources and costs associated with that. Is there a formula or any kind of a, maybe it's not a formula, but how do you think about the right mix First, between paid and organic, and then within paid, how do you think about what's the right paid channel mix that will ultimately lead to the the highest volume of qualified leads with the lowest uh, customer acquisition cost? Yeah, yeah, and well, I think that you, for me, it's like you get in and you find out what are strategic categories, or if we don't know, let's figure that out first. What are the topics like? There's competitive. There's, but there are topics that you need to rank for or you need to create awareness for. So if you don't have any content or you're not ranking well for those categories, you need to cover them with paid search. So that's like, okay, now we need to be heavy on paid search because all of these things we don't rank for, we need to be on top. So that's more like thinking about filling the gaps where you're weak, where we don't have, uh, we don't have page one uh, exposure or visibility. So we'll need to we need to have paid traffic for those keywords to fill in those gaps, right? Yes. And that's the hardest part because let's say you show up and there's a lot of gaps and yeah. you say, well, we need to do a lot of paid. That's a lot of budget. But then yeah. at the same time, how do we start building that organic content? Because it's going to not take a month. It's going to take six months or a year for you to get anywhere close ranking highly. So I, I think that's what makes the mix a tricky bit. Like I would say in that first year it's like well it should be a hundred percent to both <laughs> after you have the organic content then you could say it's less percent for paid so you have to essentially choose 
for those strategic categories, where do you want to start? Where can you get the highest efficiency? Keyword research does a lot of help with this, right? And sometimes you just focus on what you determine is going to be your longest strategic category. There can be some things that are a trend now, or there, there might be things that are hot, but in terms of value, they, they might go away in a year or so. So, or, or maybe it's too late and you say, hey, there's no way we could do anything about this. Like, there's no way we're going to be a top recognized company for this topic or category. So we're just, we're not even going to try it. So it, 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 on, the con, on the organic content side, mix-wise, I, I would say, yeah, you probably starting with a little higher on the page than the organic side in terms of effort and expenses and human effort or focus resources. Um, but you have to be very picky with the categories that you build. Um, and, and this is where it can be tricky if you start on, on the organic side, if you switch from month to month. On the paid side and testing messaging, that's where you can move quickly because you can get really quick results, but it takes time to generate good content or rank well for a category. So you have to yeah. be picky. Cool. We'll learn something today. Well, Hernando, this has been great, and, and you're on quite a journey. It looks like you're about eight months in at Instabug and um, having a lot of success. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you feel would benefit our audience? Um, I think just um, for me, it's been really, really exciting and insightful to see the journey at, at different organizations from series A or B to D. That's kind of my sweet spot or where, where it's ha I've had the most fun. And it's just such a, not to be generic, like series A, like this is the type of marketer, series B, this is the type of marketer you have, series C and so on. But there's some mappings there that are quite true. And there's some personality or, or like, let's call it habit differences. And I think what's important for a marketer is be very aware if you're in series A or B about what's about to happen if your organization is doing well. As an individual for your career, it can be really fantastic if you can navigate that. And, and don't be afraid. They will probably hire someone in between you and your manager at some point. Like that could happen. But you could say that's a negative thing, but also think about how much you would learn from that expert if that was the case, right? And, and just... Also being mindful of how politics can change from that series A, hands on the ground, we all stay up late and just like eat junk food kind of series A vibe to a series D where you're more like sitting at a table and putting on a sports jacket and, and being like, or a suit, right? And just kind of navigating that, how persuasiveness needs to evolve and uh, in, in those environments. So it's not just how the marketing stack evolves and your marketing strategies, but everything around it um, take advantage of that. There's really great opportunities in, in growing with a company. So, um, that's yeah. great advice, Fernando. And I'm uh, really, really happy. We started with, with the HR type of topics regarding teams and you brought it full circle at the end. So thanks for that. And I, I do fully agree that there could be some really exciting, uh, career growth opportunities and, uh, but, but things do change, as you said, yeah, the, the vibe is different. The mode is different. And the key is to be flexible and to be able to evolve yourself also uh, as the company grows and absolutely you know, get as the company grows up. I think also marketers need to 
be ready to change as well. Yeah, absolutely. Don't forget new suits and new, new shirts. That's right. Yeah, you can still wear the t-shirt, but you might have to throw a blazer on top of it. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Fernando. Well, thanks for being cool. with me today. This has been a lot of fun, and I would look forward to following the the success of Instabug. And we wish you all the best. Thanks so much, Paris. This is fantastic. Really fun to chat with you and and great job with this uh, podcast and content. Really valuable. So thank you. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.